morning. We are in the last message of this series called Ready or Not. And it's where we've been looking at the end of times, the end of world. And supposedly that's going to happen this Friday. If you've looked at the ancient Mayan calendar, this Friday the world is to end. So you've got about 6,600 minutes before the end is to come. And so there's been much fear, much um, talk about the end. And so we decided to use this series to talk about what the Bible has to say because folks for generations, all cultures, all generations have been fascinated with the end. They've written on cave walls. They've written in pyramids about this. And it has caused much prediction and many interpretations. And so we wanted to go to God's word to see what the Bible has to say about the end. And so in the first week, we looked at being aware. We may not know the time, the day, but Jesus Christ is coming back. And we have to be aware. Last week, we looked at being ready. A powerful video by the Pressy family, Ken Pressy, has kind of been given an indication of when his personal end is coming. And he talked about being ready. It was a powerful video. And then this week, we're going to talk about being confident in heaven. No better time in light of um, what happened this past week as they're preparing for the message and seeing um, the atrocities. And then a reminder saying, this is not the end. And so we get to talk about heaven this morning. And I wish I didn't have that reminder of why I long for heaven. Imagine what the family and the parents are going through. And so I pray as we go through this message, pray for all of those that are involved, that they would know the comfort of the great comforter who will meet with them here and now in their morning and give them an understanding that this is not the end. This morning, we're going to look at being confident. And so over the next 25 to 30 minutes, I'm to answer all of your questions about the end. So pray for me, please. (laughs) But we all have questions. I mean, I got questions and here I am to talk to you about it. We wonder what heaven looks like. Maybe for some, you think heaven is a place where you get everything you want. Maybe some, you have a picture of heaven as eternal bliss and rest and peace. And that's what heaven's going to be like. Others may think, oh, am I going to be flying around with wings and a halo and a diaper? And that sounds kind of boring to me. So all of us have questions and we wonder what can we expect in heaven? And so as we always do, every series, every Sunday, we're going to go to God's word to see what he has to say about what heaven will be like. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come down and hand out Bibles. If you do not have one this morning, just signal to them. They'll give you one. It is yours to keep or give to somebody that does not have a Bible. Um, That's God's big story. And in it, you will find your place in his story. But he gives us a glimpse 
of what heaven will be like when the writing of one of Jesus' disciples, John, in Revelation, he wrote down what he saw in a vision. So God gave John a vision of what the end of times would be like, what heaven would be like. And so we're going to be in Revelation 21 this morning. And Revelation's a little bit different than the other New Testament books. It's, it's a letter, so we've seen letters before. It's a letter to some persecuted churches, the first churches. So there's this historical circumstance to it. But at the same time, it's got prophecy in it, in the New Testament, like in the Old Testament, we saw prophecy. And we read it and we go, ooh, that's really weird. But you need to know that these writings resemble writings of ancient times where people were writing about visions of eternity in the end. So they really weren't in other cultures at the time. It wasn't different. So let's look at, uh, we're going to kind of anchor in Revelation 21, 1 through 5 this morning. And I want to read it to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And so we read about a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to look at that for most of our time this morning. But a question that sometimes comes up is, time out, what, what happens to all the people who have died already or are going to die before Christ returns, which is a valid question. And when you look at scripture, it's pretty clear that there's this in-between state, not purgatory. Please stay with me on this. It is an in-between state and it's different for those that follow Christ and those who have chosen not to follow Christ. For those who follow Christ, you look in 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians 1, and you read, away from the body, present with the Lord. There's this immediate presence in the Lord when our physical death here takes place. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 says, talks about the resurrection of the body. At the second coming. And so there's this idea that there's a temporary place where we are alive in spirit in heaven with the Lord himself. We just don't have our physical bodies yet. And the same holds true for those that haven't followed Christ. Luke 16 talks about a rich man that was tormented in a temporary place. Now hear me. The destination for people in this temporary state does not change at the final resurrection. There's no working out of things in this time. A person's eternal destiny is set. The specific location 
of where that will be is what changes. We know where unbelievers go, but we read that believers will be granted entrance into this new heaven and this new earth. Until then, the believers are alive in spirit and present with the Lord. And so I want to look at what will this new heaven look like, right? Isn't that one of your first questions? What will it be like? And we've got a lot of imagery when you read the scripture. You read about the the physical being joined with the spiritual, the heaven and the earth coming together, which ought to sound familiar, right? So the last page, the last chapter of the Bible kind of sounds familiar to the first few pages in Genesis at God's creation, the original intention of what God desired, where he had physical elements coming together with the spiritual in a perfect way. We read that he walked with them in the cool of the day. Gardens, people, the physical, the spiritual, perfectly together. And so now we start to see that same imagery and we're like, it's like that over there. We know in Genesis, you read a little bit more, you see man choosing for himself. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And we still battle that today. And because of that, there's this separation between God and his creation. And that's the period we live in now. You'll hear people talk about it, the fall. We live in a fallen world. That's where we are right now. And it's a battle. Go back and listen to Unseen because we're battling our own flesh. We're battling with the world. We're battling spiritual forces. But what we're looking at today is the new heaven, new earth, which is creation restored. The way it's supposed to be. All things are being made new. All the perversions of sin, all the death, the pain, the suffering, the guilt, the shame, All of those things that burden us are gone in this new heaven and new earth. And there are passages in scripture that talk about heaven like a countryside, like the flowers and the hills, animals. But there are also passages that talk about it as if it's something we understand, like man's creation. Because we read that the new Jerusalem, a city, will be there. We get that. City, streets, people. I wonder, will there be technology? Right? Will there be iPhones? Will there be big screens? I'm wondering if Moses upgraded his tablet from an iPad to a droid. Some first service thought that was lame. I said, I'm just doing it to make sure you're all awake. You know? But, um, so, there's imagery of physical elements that we understand. And we also know that the spiritual God will be with us. And if you read revelation five, nine, seven, nine, you get some images that there will be all races there and that there will be this physical body and DNA that we know it. So there's this idea and I will we'll develop it a little in a bit that we will kind of look like what we look like. There'll be some way that we look as we do now. But more than a place, heaven is more than a place. And hear this. Heaven is going to be where we are with God face 
to face with him. And you think, oh, uh, you know, like, I can't be in his, no, you can be in his presence here. And we will experience him in a very direct way. Because his presence will be the most important thing. In heaven, God is the focus. That's what it'll be like. And that relationship will be so special. Scripture says that this city has no lights because he is the light. His glory shines that much. That's what it will be like. We read in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 3 that someday we see cloudy now, but someday we'll see perfectly. This is the place we get to be with him directly and in a perfect way. So we have this this place with, with somebody who is so great in a place that's so indescribable that then I start to ask myself, okay, I kind of starting to see what it looks like, but what do I, right? What do we look like? Well, just as the curse has been lifted on the spiritual and the physical, that's going to have an impact on our bodies. And Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You see, at the second coming of Christ, we're told our bodies will be resurrected. They will be made perfect. And our spirit will join with our bodies. And then we read those amazing descriptions imperishable, glory, power, and the spiritual nature. It's hard to even comprehend what that will look like. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, tried to grasp what that would be like. He called it the pinnacle age. So try to think of your pinnacle age. He said, it's like a flower in full bloom. Or think of that age and this is going to be hard for you youngins. I've already stepped over. But it's where you stop growing, but you haven't stepped over into the aging process. It's right there, that pinnacle age. What is it for you? I'm thinking it's 31 for me. I had hair, a little bit better shape. But there's this, you know, pinnacle age. And what do we look like? And so maybe that gives you some idea of what you may look like. You see the, the, the word power and you wonder, ooh, if I'm going to be like him and he, uh, he descended and he ascended, does that mean I can appear and reappear and fly? I don't know. Scripture doesn't give us the answer and I just say be careful at stuff like that because who knows whether our glorified, resurrected bodies whether they'll be the same as the resurrected, glorified body of the Son of God. And again, we're not the focus of heaven. God is. And so we just got to be careful. And it's hard to know the features of the world to come when we're standing in the world now, right? It's hard for our mind to get there. 
But one thing we know is our bodies will be indestructible. You cannot do your body harm. You will not die. What would you do with an indestructible body? I'd try some stuff I never tried before. Bungee jumping. I'd do that. I may even do stuff I tried before and swore I never would do again, and that was get on the back of a jet ski with Donnie Williams, the lead pastor of this church. Ask him the story someday. I'm surprised I'm alive. But if I have the indestructible body, I might do that because I can't die. Some other things you can't do, you're not going to be all-knowing. Matter of fact, if you look at Ephesians 2, it kind of gives you this idea that you're going to still continue to, lo- uh, to grow and learn. So not in a way where you'll be frustrated because you don't know knowledge, like you haven't attained it yet, but in a glorious way. So there's this idea that we will still grow and learn. But most importantly, you cannot sin anymore. There is no more of that perversion that we see throughout this world. We cannot sin. Some are worried, but what if I'm the Adam and the Eve and I cause another fall? You can't. That battle is over between the flesh and the world. And most importantly, Satan is no more. He is gone. The tempter is gone. We cannot sin. And so we grasp kind of what this place will be like and what we might look like in it. But then that immediately makes me think, but how about my relationships? How about my friends? And I think relationships are going to be one of the most beautiful things about heaven. But I want to know, and I'm sure you want to know, how about my loved ones? Will they be there? I want a reunion with my loved ones. And when you look at scripture, um, it's, it's clear that we will definitely recognize one another. When you look at Luke 16 and Matthew 17, we will recognize one another. And if we recognize one another, what's scary is you think, will I have an awareness that another person, my loved one, is there or not? Because I have a hard time believing that heaven would be a happy place if they're not there, right? All I can lean on here is that the word says there will be no more mourning in sadness. And so I know in this world, I process that, the absence of somebody that I love as mourning and sadness. But in heaven, when I'm there, his word says, I will not feel that. So I've got to believe that I will have, and you will have a different perspective on the way to look like, look at that situation. If there is this awareness that in some way, maybe I'll understand how their absence brings glory to God. I don't know how that does, how that could be on this side of heaven, but I believe that I will think and be aware differently there. And first and foremost, he says, I will not mourn. There will not be sadness. Now, one of the relationships, people say, how about marriage? Will there be marriage in heaven? That's a very special relationship here on earth. Now, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, argued with Jesus on this. 
And they kind of set him up with a scenario. They said, okay, imagine this woman marries this man. And this man dies. And so she marries his brother. And he dies and she marries his brother. And she goes through this, seven brothers pass away. And then she dies and goes to heaven. They say, whose bride, who will she be married to in heaven? And Jesus says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, some of you are going, I like that, right? No marriage in heaven. I'm not one of those. The thought of not having that special relationship with Kim, my wife, that, that saddens me here. But again, I lean on the promise that there won't be tears and sadness and mourning. And kind of an analogy that gives me comfort and perhaps will give you some comfort is that you think of having a business partner that you're a good friend with or a tennis partner who you're a good friend with. When the partnership ends, the relationship, that close relationship you have with them does not end. And so I believe that that richness that I feel this side of heaven with Kim, I will feel that in heaven. I wasn't quite right on saying there's no marriage in heaven because right at the beginning of this passage in chapter 21, We read in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And what you need to know is we, believers in Christ, the church of God, is often referred to as the bride of Christ. So there will be a marriage and all of us will be in the primary relationship with Jesus Christ. God is the focus of heaven. And the final question there that we got time for when I think about that is, well, okay, what are we doing? Is it going to be 24-hour worship and praise? Because that's clear. We will do that. But is it going to be like, okay, we're sitting and worshiping 24-7? Worship comes in other ways as well. See, we worship through the living out of his purposes for our life. There will be this idea of service in heaven. And you say, well, what will that look like? I think we have to lean on scripture and go back to Genesis. And what did it look like then? Then we were told when God created it, he said, rule over these things. Take care of all of my creation." So there'll be work in heaven. And not, you're probably, ah, work. I want to be free from work, right? The way we think about work now is in a fallen world. So you may think that work is a chore, a task. It's not going to be that way. When you are doing the work of God, you are fulfilling your purpose in life. And there you will find satisfaction, deep satisfaction. So I don't think it would be like work as we think about it. And we could look at so many different questions that we all have about heaven. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And so we may not know all the details, but it sure is fun to imagine, based off of the verses that we do have, to try to understand what it will look like and try to understand the truth. But we can't stop there. Because what good is it if you, if you just take that in? How is knowing that the end is going to look like that going to impact your life, my life? How are we going to live differently because of the truths that we have in heaven? Well, I think once we start to understand what heaven is like, it gives us hope. Like I said at the beginning, hope that it's not the end. Hope that there will be for those parents and their friends in Connecticut, knowing that the weeping and the crying and the pain that they absolutely wish they, they probably weren't alive for the pain that they're feeling, that someday that will be gone and that there is an end to what they are feeling now. It will help them look forward to their permanent home. But it also gives them strength because it gives us a perspective, a different perspective. These troubles, this broken world is real, the pain that we feel. But when you frame it in eternity, and when you frame it of the promises we have in heaven, and you look at it that the promises and the reality that we have now in Christ, it makes you live and respond differently. And you start to understand that renewing of our strength day by day. Not in our own power, but in Christ starting now. And one big thing to realize is this is not our home. This is temporary. And you would not go and buy nice furniture. I'm not talking about how you furnish your house, just how the things that we chase in this world. We wouldn't go and furnish a hotel with all these decorations if we're staying for two days. Because it is not our home. You see, heaven is the answer to our deepest, deepest longing. And you would expect that from a pastor, right? Ah, that's a cliche. You have to say that. You're to encourage us that way. Hopefully coming from not me, but God. You see, heaven is our real home. And that longing that we feel and we think that these things over here are going to be the things that will make us enjoy or feel like life is worth the living, a lot of times are not the real thing. Because deep within us is a longing for something much, much different. And that is to be in a permanent home with God. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find myself desires which nothing in this world could satisfy the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world Paul says something just a little bit same thing but a little bit differently in 2 Corinthians 5 for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands 
Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Heaven is your answer to your deepest, deepest longing. And so we feel these longings and these burdens and the groaning on the side of heaven. And we wonder, so how do we live now? Second Corinthians, Paul continues in, in verse six, five, chapter five, verse six. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we will make it our goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. We long for that, but we got to know and have confidence that he's got work for us to do while we're here. To love on others and give glimpses of maybe what that new heaven will look like. Most importantly, that we would know that saving grace personally in Christ. And that we would spend our life not only in that relationship, but introducing others to him. See, because our future is based on the decisions that we make in the present. And these promises about heaven are true for those that are part of God's family. And that's why Jesus came so that folks could step into the family of God. There's no other way. He is the truth. The one who saves us, he came, he died for our sins, and he was resurrected as a testimony to the sacrifice of our sins. And life comes through him we can have confidence that we can be standing in heaven with him. And if that's not you this morning, we don't want you to have that question or go unanswered in that unrest. Here at LifeFormer, we talk about connecting people with God. It's what we're all about to get you to the relationship that you were created to that is with your creator God through Jesus Christ if you don't have that confidence this morning I'm going to ask and just after I finish praying I'm going to ask us to do something a little bit differently normally you get up and start fellowshipping when we want that I'm going to ask that after I'm done praying that you would exercise the discipline of silence and you would exit because I want to allow others who are interested and want to talk more about being confident in their salvation and where they'll be in For them to come down, there'll be some folks here that will talk to you. But if you would exercise that discipline of silence this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you that this world as we know it is not the end. All of us need to hear that. Lord, I pray for the Northeast and for all those that have been touched by this tragedy. 
that there's this realness that they feel from you and an understanding that this will end. But even more so, we pray for the life that you give now and the comfort that you promise is there with them and those here as well. And I pray that those, your children, would not go away with no confidence, but they would go in complete confidence that you are their Savior and they will be standing with you. Thank you for your son. And it's in his name I pray. You're dismissed.